morning. It's good to see each of you this morning. If you would, go ahead and be opening your Bibles to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and I'll meet you there in just a couple of moments. I am forever grateful to the brethren in Singapore. Uh, the Lima Pen congregation, the Eastside congregation, the Jerome congregation, you have been so hospitable to me and my family over the years. Uh, I told Brother Bland when I was in preaching school back in 2004 that I would never go on to foreign mission fields and preach the gospel. I had no desire to do that. Uh, the very first night that I moved to my full-time work at Luxahoma, Brother Bland called me and he said, uh, I'm going to Malaysia, to Singapore and the Philippines. Do you want to go? And without thinking, I said yes. And I hung up the phone and I looked at my wife and I said, I have no idea what I just said yes to. <laughs> With the exception of one year, uh, since 2005, I've had the opportunity to come back to this great city, uh, to this great country, and I'm forever grateful for the work that you do. Uh, you're in our prayers constantly. Uh, we, we think about you. We look in on you uh, through, your, through your live streams and through our connections with the Four Seas College. And so with all that being said, we just want you to know how much we appreciate you how much we love you, and how much we desire to, to uh, share heaven with you. And uh, I have no doubt that heaven is going to be more populated because of your efforts. And, I, and I, again, I'm forever grateful to you. The sermon this morning is entitled Tomorrow Morning. It's kind of a peculiar title, perhaps, but if you stop and you think about tomorrow, it's one of those things that never comes because if we see the dawn of the next day, well, tomorrow has disappeared, hasn't it? When you stop and you give consideration to every day that God has given to us and the blessings that are filled within it, we know that as children of God, we are the most fortunate people who have ever lived. I learned a very, at a very young age a prayer, uh, probably as a toddler, that my mother would sit next to my bed, sometimes perhaps my father, and the prayer would go something like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die... Before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Hence the reason for the title, Tomorrow Morning. There's some thought-provoking questions within such a child's prayer. It's amazing how our Lord, when He walked upon this earth during His ministry, would compare the children of God as the children that we see within realities of life. We see the innocence and the purity. We see the, the calmness. We see the forgiveness. We see the sharing. And we see all of the benefits of what it means to be a child 
perhaps we're supposed to see that within the Christian. The idea of tomorrow morning, we have to ask the question, what if I were to die before tomorrow morning? Where will I spend eternity? And the second part of that question is, am I ready? But what if I wake up tomorrow morning? If you stop and think about the two possibilities for everyone sitting in this room, actually the room behind us as well, the only two possibilities are we're going to wake up and we're going to see the dawn of a new day or else we are going to pass from this life and be ushered into eternity. There's no other choices. And so if we stop and think about the, the, the question, if I die before I wake, where will I spend eternity and, and am I ready for eternity? But if I wake... If I wake up and see the dawn of tomorrow, how am I going to spend that day? How am I going to spend the rest of my life? And am I ready? The passage under consideration this morning is taken from James chapter 4. James is telling these Christians that they need to be prepared regardless of what happens. The idea is that when we look at the book of James, that we see what's commonly referred to as the most practical book in all of the New Testament. We see, we see James dealing with Christians with many practical issues of everyday living. We understand that they were probably on the cusp of some great persecution. But we also understand that during that time that God was still going to require them to remain faithful to, to Him. So whatever direction they were going to go, ever how they developed their minds, or whatever decisions that they would make in life, it was going to have to be centered upon Almighty God. We sang a song a few moments ago I thought was appropriate. Faith is the victory. I don't know too many people who like to lose. I, I was accused when I was a little boy and growing up and playing sports that I was very competitive. Wasn't very good, but I was very competitive. I hated to lose. If you told me that I was going to lose, that just made me try even harder because I could not stand to lose. I still can't stand to lose. But being a child of God, God has guaranteed me that I will win. That's the entire book of Revelation. Blessed are those which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit. The idea is that when we pass from this life as faithful children of God, that we will have eternal rest from our labors because our works, the good that we did here in this life, follows us. The idea is that it leaves an influence. It has been for the greater good, for the greater cause, to the great God. 
to whom we have been worshiping this morning. So this morning I asked the question, what about tomorrow morning? What about tomorrow morning? Okay, if I die before tomorrow morning, where will I spend eternity? Have you thought about that? Do you really know the answer? If you were to stop and, and take careful examination as to the reality that one of two things is going to happen. And while we don't like to talk about death, while we don't like to dwell upon the subject, it is part of life and it is a reality. And it is one of the two things that's going to happen today. We'll either live to see tomorrow or we will die before we wake and see another day. To know this answer is to know Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. John 14, verse 6. You remember the context in which he said that? You remember he was about to leave and, and ascend back to heaven? He was preparing his disciples for being separated from him. And when you think about the agony that our Lord would go through and the death and the separation that that would cause, that he wanted his disciples to be sure about tomorrow. That's why he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, in the way you know. John 14, verses 1 through 4. I ask this question that you see on your screen here to a young lady who had thoughts of Christianity, had considered herself a Christian, had thought about all the good that she had done in her life, had thought about heaven as her future, and I asked her this question, is your name written in the book of life? Is your name written in the book by which will be opened on the day of judgment the name where it's filed of the faithful? And she said, I've never heard of the book of life. You know, unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians today they have no idea that this book exists. There's a lot of Christians today, if you were to ask them, if they were to die before tomorrow, where would they spend eternity? And they might give an answer something like this. I, I hope it's heaven. Doesn't sound like there's a lot of assurity there. But God gives us assurity through these books in which will be opened on the day of judgment. I hope the writing's not too small, but we're looking from at Revelation 20. Beginning in verse number 11. Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11. The Apostle John wrote by inspiration and he said, 
And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up their dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to the works, and the death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found with, written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Think about God keeping a record. It's not a record that, that one balances out the other. It's not the scale if I do more good than bad that somehow I'm going to be saved. But rather it's a book of those who have been forgiven. That had their sins washed away through the waters of baptism by the power of the blood of Jesus. Revelation 1 and verse 5. And then their name is written down in this book. And they're striving for faithfulness and working hard toward faithfulness. And continue to grow and develop and do the things in which God would have them to do. Because you know what every Christian faces? Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. Just in the next chapter over in chapter 21 and verse 27. God explains heaven and how perfect it will be there. This glimpse in which John got to see, and he said, Then there shall no wise enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. The song that we sing, My name is written there. Isn't it great to sing with such confidence? knowing that you and I are going to face tomorrow morning, and if we face it looking at eternity or whether we face it looking at the sun in which God has provided for a new day, you and I can be assured without a shadow of a doubt where eternity is for you and for me. The idea that if one is a Christian, heaven is within its grasp. Heaven is right there within the grasp in which you and I can surely see. But here's the thing. If you and I miss heaven, we can't blame it on God. It won't be God's fault. Notice this, if you will, in Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 31, one of my favorite all-time passages when the Apostle Paul says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he, not with him, also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, 
who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How anyone can read that, knowing that it comes directly from the mind of God and not have a smile on her face and a heart that's about to bust through their chest, do we just understand how much God loves us that He made sure that every provision was met for you and I to spend eternity with Him. There's nothing that can hold us back because of the love that God has for us. Uh, notice also what John wrote when he said, My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not, and if any man sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 2 and verse 1. It's not that we're going through this life living this perfect life. The idea that perfection is ours. Perfection only belonged to one and that was Christ Jesus. But the fact is that every time that you and I sin we have an advocate with the Father and we bring before Him our sins as John said in 1 John chapter 1 that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our God is a loving God. Our God is a, is a God who, who loves us so much that He would send His only begotten Son, John 3 and verse 16. Through the commandments that we are to love Him and keep His commandments. John 14, 15. With the fact that Jesus Himself demonstrated His love through the great ability to walk the pathway that He did, not only through His ministry, but the path that led to the cross. That led to the cross that you and I could live as a sacrifice in this life, imitating His and knowing that if I were to die before tomorrow, I can spend eternity with Him. Now the question is, am I ready? Am I truly ready for what God is offering me here? If the two things that that possibly could happen thinking of tomorrow is the fact that I'm going to either pass from this life or I'm going to wake up to a new day. What does that mean for me? If I die before tomorrow, 
where will I spend eternity, and am I ready? But secondly, what if I wake up tomorrow morning? Have you thought about that? Just stop and think for just a moment. You don't have to pull your phones out and look at your calendars. You don't have to quickly reference all the things that you've listed through your weekend leading up to this first day of the week. There's no doubt that you have many, many plans concerning what you're going to be doing tomorrow. For some of you, you're going to work. That's the plan. My alarm clock is set. I'm going to get up at this particular time. I'm going to eat at this particular time. I'm going to be at this place at this particular time. I'm going to do this work at this particular time. And at this particular time, I'm going to quit and make my way back to where I started. And at this particular time, I'm going to do whatever recreation activity or whatever else I need to do outside of my work or my school. And at this particular time, I'm going to lay my head down. And I'm going to go to sleep. Knowing that I've got tomorrow morning to look forward to. Isn't that the way we think? Isn't that the way we plan our lives? Isn't that the way that, that everything that we do, that we surround ourselves with such a mindset that tomorrow is guaranteed? Therefore, I'll make these kind of plans based upon my own understanding, desires, and wants. Go to James chapter 4, if you will. And we'll get back to the PowerPoint here in just, just a moment. In James chapter 4, we'll back up to verse number 8. And of course, James is trying to remind these individuals that the direction that they go, the development of their minds, and the decisions that they make God has to be the center of all of that. And so this is what he says, beginning in verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil, one of another, brethren, he that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Now stop right here for just a moment. He's looking at these individual Christians and with an imperative statement, he is commanding them to draw close to God with the result of God being close to them. In other words, there's not really a choice in the matter. If you want to be faithful to God, you've got to get close to Him. 
And in order to get close to him, all the things in which they had engaged in, the idea of speaking evil of each other, getting close to God would help them to solve the things about looking for the good in each other, for the growing, growing closer to one another, for the unity of each other. And then he jumps down to verse 13 like they've made all of these plans. You're planning to go into another city. You're going to take all of your goods of which you make your living and you're going to take it with you and you're going to set up there for a year. You're going to buy and sell and get gain. And notice how he used the words. He said, today or tomorrow. Now, just a casual look at that, you would think, hey, wait a minute. He's looking at this, and he said, okay, they have a choice of either today or tomorrow. What's being implied here is this. They don't care what day it is. They're living as though they have every day. It doesn't matter which day they say they're going. It's like any other because every day is going to come the way they're planning, being far away from God. I know that my wife and I have made many major decisions in life. We've made two major moves away from our family. The first one, we moved from the state of Tennessee to the state of North Carolina. Never gave God one part of that decision. And because we didn't, it made life so much harder. But because God is merciful and compassionate, God took a bad situation and made it good. And I'm so thankful that He did. But things could have been so much better and so much easier and probably accomplished so much more had we brought God into the middle of the equation and asked for His advice, asked for His direction, asked for His patience with us, and in turn allow God to work. You know that that, that your God in heaven is a working God through His providential hand, through His abundant mercy, His abundant blessings. He's a working God. He's not a God that sits around like many people think, that, that He throws all these things on you somehow to see how much you can stand. By the way, that's a passage many times that we take out of context. You hear many people say, well, God's not going to put on you more than what you can handle. God doesn't put anything on you. Anything that we do, we put it on ourselves. And at the same opportunity, in the same time, we can allow God to lift us up. These people here that James was considering never gave a thought that they might not wake up tomorrow. They had their plans. 
but they were doing it without God. How many times do you do that? How many times do you do you plan for work tomorrow? You, you plan for whatever may be going on on your calendar. There's nothing wrong with planning ahead. God was a planner, wasn't he? He planned ahead. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. He knew man was going to sin. And he looked at Satan in the form of the serpent. And he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Genesis 3 and verse 15. He was planning ahead to send Jesus to save the sins of all of mankind. So God was a planner. You and I are planners. We plan a lot of different things. I was part of a it was, this was an accident, but one of the uh, young couples in our congregation, their daughter had just turned one year old. What a great and beautiful time. But they threw her a birthday party, and they had been planning this from the time she was six months old. And I'm thinking, will she ever remember this? Will she remember the planning that her parents made on her behalf? And here's another thing. There was not one other one-year-old there. But there were a bunch of parents. It's just the idea of the extremes that we take into planning and never give God consideration. Uh, but notice, again, we'll get back to the PowerPoint in just a moment. But I want you to look at this. In James chapter 4, look at verse 14. Remember, they were going into the city to buy and sell and get gain. And James says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. You don't know if it's coming or not. And he says, <clears throat> for what is your life? It is even a vapor that pierced for a little time and then vanishes away. For what you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this and do that. If the Lord wills. In other words, if it's his will for us to see tomorrow, then we will live. You notice how he didn't say, if the Lord wills for us to see tomorrow, then we'll do this or that. He says we will live. That's the key to the entire context of the passage. How will we live? You remember what he said back in verse 8? Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. So how will we live? We'll live closer to God. If we say it, if it be the Lord's will, then we'll live with God as part of any decision or any direction or any development of my life. Do you think that's important? Do you think that that allows us to allow God in? And allow God to be a part of that. That 
if he is for us, who could be against us, that the strength and the foundation and the power that we have at our fingertips by simply allowing him to be close in all that we do. And we do that by growing close to him. Now watch. Back to the PowerPoint. If I wake up tomorrow, what am I prepared to do? Well, I've got all these plans, right? Uh, notice this. In reference back to Jesus Christ, from Acts chapter uh, 10, verse 38, Luke records how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing that all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So what did Jesus do while he was here upon this earth? He went about doing good. How did he do that? By doing the Father's will that allowed him to live close to God every single day. Peter said, For even hereunto ye were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. I don't know if you've ever heard this or not. I don't know if I've ever pointed this out. But look at this word example in 1 Peter 3, verse, or 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. It's from a Greek word, hoopograph. Actually, from the Greek word hoopagraman, it's from the, the, uh, the, the base word, foundation of it, hoopograph. And the definition of that word means a writing example. When, when I was growing up in the, in the early ages, learning how to write, I don't know if our children do that anymore, because of the computer age, they learn keyboarding, rather than to, to pick up a pencil or a pen and begin to write. But I remember at about the third grade, we learned how to write cursive, cursive letters. We were given these tablets, that on these tablets, at the very top was a writing example of every letter, the uppercase and the lowercase letter. And we were given assignments that we were to copy that writing copy. So we would start with the letter A, and then the lowercase a, then we'd start with the B, the lowercase b, and we would go all the way through the alphabet like that. But it was always amazing that I started realizing this with my children, when they would have to do this at home, that when they would sit there at the table, they'd begin writing, that... At the very top of the page as they were writing, their copy looked uh, so much like the writing example. But when they got down toward the bottom of the page, it looked a lot less like the writing example. You know why that is? It's because at the top, they were closer to the example. And they could constantly see it. But when they got to the bottom, they were further away from that example, and their eyes had to look a longer distance. The moral of the story is, 
you stay close to the example, then the more you're going to look like the example. Jesus Christ, he suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Uh, another story. When I was a, a young boy, and I may have told this story here before. When I was a young boy, we used to travel about 200 miles to visit my grandparents. And they lived in the eastern part of the state of Tennessee. They lived on a big farm. We started traveling there one afternoon into the middle of the night. And a lot of snow came in. And it snowed very quickly to the point where it was about two to three feet deep. So much so that on the dirt road that was leading up to my grandparents' house, uh, our car couldn't go any further. And so my dad got us all out of the car, and he started walking in that snow. And he had my mom and my brother and my sister and myself, and we all started stepping in his footprints. So our feet wouldn't get in the snow. That they would get cold and then eventually start to freeze. All the way up that road to my grandparents' house. I couldn't imagine walking up there without footprints to follow. Jesus has left some mighty big shoes to fill some mighty big footprints in which to follow. But who else would you rather follow? The Apostle Paul said, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity and sincerity. Titus 2 and verse 7. The idea there is the, the mindset of the individual who's going to follow God who's going to follow his son, Jesus Christ, and this is all going to be done because of our desire and love for him because we face tomorrow morning. If I wake up tomorrow morning, are you prepared to do good regardless of the circumstances? Have you ever made an excuse for not doing something? I'm the only one? Okay. I'm the guilty one. There's some things I know that I should have done and times passed and I made excuses as to why I didn't want to do it. Circumstances were too difficult. The situation was just too hard. I, I, I don't know how to face this any longer and so because of that, well, I might think a way that I normally wouldn't think under pleasant conditions or circumstances. The Apostle Paul once wrote to the church at Rome, and he said, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be melted down and poured into the form that looks like the rest of the world. But be transformed. Renewing your mind that you begin to think differently. 
You know, the closer we get to God, the more we begin to think like Him. The more that we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, the more that we begin to look like Him. The Hebrews writer says, you have resisted, you have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Hebrews 12 and verse 4. The idea is that, that you keep on keeping on. That you continue to do the things that are good and right in the sight of God. And in doing that, then you have the blessing. The blessing of knowing regardless of what happens tomorrow. You know, a lot of times we use the passage Revelation 2 and verse 10, and we use it in our context of the great invitation, the invitation of our Lord, that, that after one obeys the gospel of Jesus Christ, then he is to live faithful unto death, and he'll receive a crown of life. But I want you to think about something. That context is not talking about living faithful as long as you live. That context means being faithful to God even if it requires death. That's a big difference. Being faithful to God even if it means dying for your faithfulness. If I wake up tomorrow morning, how will you spend the rest of your life? The idea is that I do not know who wrote this children's prayer that we spoke of earlier. But the simplicity of the thought, it just rings loud and clear. There's no doubt. What of two things is going to happen tomorrow morning? I will either die before I wake or I will wake to see the day that God has given me. Regardless of what happens, am I prepared? Am I prepared to leave this life? Am I prepared to stay in this life? This is a question that we will have to present to ourselves every single day that we live. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Tomorrow morning. What does that mean for you? If you've never rendered obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, what that means for you is no hope. Because see, God laid out a plan of salvation by which mankind can be reconciled or restored back to God. That he may strive to grow closer and closer because of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. That plan starts with hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10 verse 17. Once I've heard the word of God I must believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. For Jesus himself said, If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. John 8, verse 24. 
And with believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I must be willing to repent of my past sins. For Jesus said, I tell you nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, verse 3, again in verse 5. And then I must make the great confession that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, If you'll confess me before men, ye will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. Matthew 10, verse 32. But notice the consequence if we don't. If you deny me before men, ye will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. Verse 33. And with that great confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I'm now ready to go down into the watery grave of baptism in order for my sins to be forgiven. For the Apostle Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for, or in order to, the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then I must live faithful unto God. For Paul told those at Corinth, My beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's how one becomes a child of God and how one continues to remain faithful. As he, every day he continues to grow closer and closer to God. The Bible also tells us for those Christians who fall away, Galatians 5 and verse 4, that there's a second law of pardon by which God has extended the blood of Jesus Christ for forgiveness for those who will confess their sins, knowing that God is faithful and just to forgive us. An example of this is in Acts chapter 8, verse 22, when Simon the sorcerer, shortly after he was converted, wanted to buy the powers of the apostles, and the apostles Peter and John told him to repent and pray that his heart once again might be right with God. Acts 8, verse 22. If we can help you this morning, we want to encourage you with the song, but we also want you to know that the most important thing that you will ever face in this life is tomorrow morning. Won't you come as together we stand and as we sing. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the saber wealth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be dead. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll
Let us talk of all this wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and the work for them is done, and the road is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the road, when the road is called up yonder, when the road